Good morning. How are you? Good. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. We're in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey in our series on the book of Acts. Last week we left Paul as he was leaving Philippi. And this morning we pick up that story as he goes on to Thessalonica and then to Berea. I'm reading beginning at Acts 17 verse 1. When they had passed, you notice that Luke uses the word they again. He goes from we to they. Many have felt then that Luke stays in Philippi because now he talks about them or they going. When they had passed, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas. Apparently they were staying at Jason's house. Jason had offered his home as a place of hospitality. If you were here last week, you'll remember that word. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Luke very subtly ratchets up, ramps up the accusation against Paul and the new Christian way. We haven't seen Caesar personally threatened yet. We've seen his laws. We've seen the accusation be that we're going against Roman laws. But now the devil, through these folks, sharpening a bit his point and saying Caesar himself is being threatened by another king, one called Jesus. Verse 8, When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too. That's about a hundred miles. Okay, these are some serious stalker type Jews here. Yes, from Philippi. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. 
This is the very Word of God. Amen? Amen. My brothers and sisters, people of God, I have some shocking news to report this morning. It's absolutely shocking. Some might even say scandalous. I'm sure when I give you this news, you will be stunned. In fact, allow me to help prepare you for this news. I'm going to give you something to say after I tell you this news. I'd like for you to respond to this news, if you'd like, by saying, wow. Now, we have our own, we have our own wow expert here. It's our good friend, Pastor George. So, George, would you give us one of your wows, please? Okay, now that's it. Okay. So, okay, let's practice together on three. One, two, three. Hey, that's good. Okay, now let's do it for real. Are you ready? Here is the shocking news of the morning. Not yet. Are you ready with your wows? He was. Okay, here goes. Here's the shocking news. Christians actually disagree with each other. As I know! Shocking, isn't it? Christians, for real, I would not lie to you on this. Do not see eye to eye on every detail. And this morning, I'd like to huddle with you over one of those areas of disagreement, if you will. And now you're all wondering, which one's he going to huddle over? Is he going to talk about the type of music we sing in church? (laughs) Wow! Actually, I have that one on my to-do list. Or I guess we, we, pastors, we pastors, we have to-preach lists, right? So at last check of my to-preach list last night, the Sermon on Music will take place sometime in the year 2020. So be sure to come back for that one. It's not Music Wars this morning. Today I want to talk about evangelism. More specifically, what's the best or most biblical approach to evangelism? You ever thought about that? And since evangelism in the Christian context means spreading or bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to a world, to the world, how should we do that? What's the best way to to spread or to bring the good news of Jesus to a world that is desperate for it? Now, to be sure, it's a broad topic, far too broad to cover in 30 minutes. So let me narrow the field a bit more. One handle or one toehold in answering this question has to do with the difference between felt needs and real needs. One way to look at evangelism is two primary models of evangelism belong in those camps, felt needs or real needs. One model of evangelism says that Christians interested in reaching the world for Christ should first and foremost at least target the felt needs of people. And the other model says Christians interested in reaching the world for Christ should first and foremost target the real needs of people. More about that in a minute. As I discovered in my research the past couple of weeks, there is no small disagreement in the universal church over this topic, brothers and sisters. People have strong opinions and their support of one model over the other. And, you know, it's not hard to see why there's a lot at stake here. We're talking, about, we're talking about Jesus' last words to His disciples and through them to us to go and make disciples of the world. It's the thing He left with them and tells us to do. 
And salvation, right, is at stake here for people ultimately. This is the heaven or hell question. So, of course, people have strong opinions on on how we should do evangelism. We should have strong opinions or at least think about that. There's probably something wrong with us if we don't. How best to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because we want to do the best we can. Amen? Or, Or wow? Okay. Now, if you're like me, perhaps you're wondering what the difference is between these two models. Maybe you're wondering, like I did, what's a felt need and what's a real need. So let's start there. First, the felt needs model of evangelism. A person's felt need is just that, something someone feels they need. Anything. My felt needs are anything in any area of my life that I perceive as a need. And it can be just about anything. If I have a a question about something, I may feel a need for an answer. That's a felt need. If I'm at school and I miss a day at class and I know that that class is going to be on the exam, if I'm a student, I, I might have a felt need to find a friend who is there to get their notes. That's a felt need. If I buy, if I buy some new software for my computer, I may really feel the need to learn how to use it. And a need to read the manual. You get the anything in your area of life that you perceive as a need is a felt need. And of course, felt needs get far more personal and far more serious in the examples I've given so far. I mean, we feel needs, for example, to address areas of life such as loneliness, depression, relationships, managing relationships. Now, there's a big felt need that we have, don't we? How about family issues and parenting moms and dads? Handling money, finding fulfillment, coping with stress and worry, the problems that come up at work. And another huge area of felt needs, facing with, you know, facing illness or, or health issues. Those are felt needs. So, felt needs evangelism then, first and foremost at least, seeks to target looks for those sorts of needs in people as the best way to introduce Jesus to them. Do you get the idea? The idea behind it is that when people experience you helping them with their felt needs, they will be more open to hearing about why in the world you even genuinely care. There are many biblical examples of this felt needs approach to evangelism. Many. I've got a time for a time this morning for a couple. Jesus meets the woman at the well and does her the honor of even speaking to her. Jews do not speak to Samaritans, especially not a Jewish rabbi. And Jesus simply asks her for a drink of water. And then they talk. And Jesus, with his amazing intuition, maybe because he's God or maybe he can even sense it in something she says or the way she moves, He deals directly with a felt need in her life. She has a problem managing her relationships. She's been married and divorced many times. Jesus bothers to know about her first. And only after she realizes with delight, He cares about me. Only after does Jesus tell her as she leaves, Hey, stop sinning. On several occasions, Jesus opens a conversation with someone he's just met, a complete stranger. And he opens it with questions like this one. What can I do for you? 
What would you have me do for you? How can I help? And so Jesus even introduces himself. And you know, the responses he gets from people are almost never, I need salvation. I need God. The responses are felt need responses. I can't see Jesus. What do I need? Isn't that obvious as I'm laying here on this mat? I can't walk. What do I need? When the water is stirred, there's no one to help me get into the healing waters, Jesus. And Jesus' next move is not to lecture them on their real needs. His next move is to restore their sight, fix their crippled legs, touch their leprosy clean, cast out the demon. He so often begins with meeting felt needs. So in a nutshell, that's felt needs evangelism. Introducing Jesus to someone by meeting what they feel they need. And in experiencing your gift given in genuine love, they experience the love of God through you and and hopefully respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Felt needs evangelism. Our second model this morning is the real needs model of evangelism. A person's real need is is what we Christians know go directly to what we might call core spiritual issues. Things like sinfulness, original sin, fallen human nature, rebellion against God, the need for salvation through the atoning work of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The real needs model recognizes that no matter the depth or horror of felt needs in people around us or in us, ultimately they all pale in significance to the need every person has for salvation in Christ. And so evangelism, according to the real needs approach, first and foremost should target their real needs. This model first and foremost stresses good, solid preaching and teaching. At least that's its tendency. And it tends to define good, solid preaching and teaching as a spoken message from Scripture that directly tries to persuade the person listening to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior right on the spot. Real needs evangelists, many of them at least, they they almost don't quite feel like church has even happened. Or at least is seriously, seriously missing something. If that spoken, direct invitation to accept Jesus is not given. And like the felt needs approach, the real needs approach also has many biblical examples. In Acts 2, you can remember way back that far when we were there. It's Pentecost, right? And Peter and the disciples are on fire for God. Because of the tongues of fire? Okay, help me here. They're literally on fire for God at Pentecost with tongues of fire. Peter addresses a crowd, I'm sure, all of them, with many felt needs. And you know what? He doesn't mention any of those. Not one. He jumps right into Scripture, the Old Testament of all things. And he tells the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. And in response to that simple story, people actually ask, They say, wow, now what? And Peter gives the invitation. And you heard Dave say it this morning. Peter says, now what? Repent. 
which means change. Be baptized. Ask God to forgive your sins. Peter gets out the big real needs guns here. The text says Peter warned them, pleaded with them, save yourselves from this evil generation, he says. And Peter is consistent here. Given a crowd, he never wants that I could find when he's got a crowd. Of, he never once asks a crowd, how can I show you Jesus by helping you with your felt needs? Rather, Peter gets a crowd and the man starts quoting scripture and lays it all out there. Lays it all out there about their need to put their faith in Jesus, their real need. What about Paul? Finally, we get back to Acts 17. You've been wondering, I know. Many commentators have pointed to the loaded paragraph on your bulletins this morning, verses 2 through 4. It's a passage loaded with real needs type words. Six of them crammed into Luke's summary of Paul's real need message. Luke must have used his thesaurus that day. In Thessalonica, Paul reasoned, explained, proved, proclaimed, persuaded, with the clear purpose, it seems, that people join as followers of Jesus. And then in Berea, Luke rather emphatically crams three words together again. He wants us to know that the people eagerly received the message, examined the Scriptures, and believed. So like with the felt needs model, there are many places in Scripture where the real needs evangelism model is in full force too. That's the two models. Felt needs and real needs evangelism. Now what I haven't yet included in either model is the criticism that many advocates of one model seemingly with delight sometimes want to throw at the other. Frankly, this part of it sickens me more than just a little bit. The kind of criticism that says of the felt needs folks, people helping others in need, that's not church. That's not evangelism. Do they even know what the Bible says? Where is convincing people they have a sin problem? Where is the story of the cross and resurrection? Where is asking people whether they would like to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives? Helping people with problems and calling that evangelism? That's not even evangelism. It ignores the real needs of people. What's the matter with these felt needs Christians? They must not know the Bible very well, or at least they don't think it's very important. And the like. And the criticism toward the real needs folks is just as biting. One lesson, for example, in a popular DVD teaching series called Numa has a character referred to as Bullhorn Man. How many of you know Bullhorn Man? Okay, a few of you. Have you seen it? Well, Bullhorn Man is a real needs evangelism kind of guy. And Bullhorn Man shouts to a crowd of people passing by about their need for repentance. Repent! Repentance is a real need, yes? Now, in the lesson on the DVD, Bullhorn Man is obviously purposely made to appear like a real dork. His clothes are out of style. His tie's too short. He drives this weird little car. 
He is extremely meticulous as he carefully prepares his handout pamphlets that you can see from the cover talk about hell. I mean, this guy, when you watch him, I watched it again last night, Bullhorn Man, this guy is wound up so tight, it even makes you nervous like to watch him walking around. The lesson really mocks this guy to help make the point that the gospel is about love and not condemnation. Did you catch the irony? The lesson intentionally disrespects Bullhorn Man to make its point that evangelistic efforts should respect everyone. Everyone, I guess, except poor Bullhorn Man. It's open season on him and, and, and real needs evangelism, apparently. I, I watched the video for the first time three, four, five years ago whenever it first came out, and I thought, wow, that makes a strong point that the church needs to hear. I haven't seen it since again until last night. And when I watched it again last night, I cried. Because I felt for Bullhorn Man as he was rather cynically and with humor taken apart. What happened in the interim of four years? Well, I know bullhorn people. They don't necessarily have bullhorns, but they're in that camp. And that caricature, that straw man, even if it was intended as... That hurt them. And I'm wondering if it was worth that hurt to make the point, however valid it is. If you're a felt-needs-evangelism type of Christian here this morning, and you have concluded there is no room for ever shouting, Repent! on a street corner, we need to talk about John the Baptist, shouting to whoever passed by, Repent! for the kingdom of God is at hand! And then we need to talk about people, you know, unimportant people, like Peter and Paul, leading with Scripture at nearly every turn when they address crowds. And they don't always wait for an invitation or find crowds that are ready or eager to hear them. If you're a real needs evangelism type of Christian here this morning, and, and, you've, concluding, and you've concluded that responding first and foremost even to, to felt needs really isn't evangelism or preaching or church at all, boy, we need to have a talk with you then about Jesus leading with meeting people's felt needs throughout His ministry. Wherever you lean this morning, one question, one challenge really I'd like for all of us to seriously consider is this. Could we communicate our differences of opinions? Can we pray about that without running each other down? Or even seeking to get rid of those other Christians who feel differently than we do about this? You think we can do that as a church? Because I know in this church, people lean different ways on this issue. We continue to stay Unified, maybe, in our diversity on this issue. How about a little, a little tiny amen this morning? Or even a wow? I mean, agreeing to disagree on something, how absolutely shocking. What do you think? What do you think? You have to, I'm not so tempted to ask for a vote, but I won't. Votes divide like you would. What do you think is the best method of evangelism? Which way do you lean? Okay, you've already seen where I'm going. 
Here's a couple of illustrations this morning. I don't know if they're very good, but maybe it'll help. It'll help uh, emphasize where I'm going this morning. Whoops. Forgot the text. Not a good idea. Okay. Let's say, let's say I go and find someone. Let's say I go and find someone who I think has, who I think has both a felt need and a real need. So I'll, I'll pick Kara. Hi, Kara. How are you? So now I know that she is saved by grace, loves the Lord Jesus, has accepted him as her personal. I know that about Kara. But let's say I don't know. Let's say I strongly suspect that Kara is a pagan. That's a harsh word. That's not a felt needs kind of word, is it? Okay, well you, how about heathen? We'll say that. No, that's not. She's a person made in God's image. Amen? Whether or not she believes. Amen? Now, wait a minute. She's a person made in God's image. Whether or not she believes in Jesus. Amen? Some of you don't seem to be sure. Look it up. Okay, now let's say she is so hungry she's starving. And I know this. Okay, she's very... This is pretend now. I picked someone I knew. I shouldn't have done that. Um, although I kind of like to because it's kind of fun. She's one of my students at Front Range. So give Kara a, a round of applause. Okay, all right. So let's pretend I don't know her, but I know enough about her. She's really, really hungry. And I do also know about her, at least I have a very good idea, only God ultimately knows. But let's say I have a very good idea in my head. She does not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior of her life. Of her life. And she's hungry. So she's got a hungry physical need, and she's lost spiritually. And I have both the text and tic-tacs. I needed a T, because text and tic... I thought about T-bone, but that's too expensive. I thought about a taco, but that's too messy. So I have tic-tacs this morning. Text and Tic Tacs, and she has both of these needs. And I've just encountered her. What do I give her? Well, you give her the Tic Tacs, don't you? Now, even you real needs leaning folks. Would you agree in that circumstance that you give her the Tic Well, you maybe give her bread and water, not just Tic Tacs. Okay? I mean, now's not the time to start telling her about her real, you know, boy, I can see you're starving. You know what your real problem is? That starving thing is, what your real problem is, is you need Jesus. And she's starving. Come on. How about this example? You have the opportunity to address 50 people. And you've got 30 minutes. And you're probably never going to see them again. What do you do? you got that window that God gives you for that group of people. Maybe in that circumstance, even the felt-need folks might say, well, if that's it, some of the felt-need folks would give them all Tic Tacs. Okay. Maybe a deathbed scenario, felt-needs folks. They don't yet know the Lord. Right? Their, their biggest felt-need right now, perhaps, is to end the pain. And if they don't yet know the Lord, do you deal with that felt-need by pulling the plug before you tell them about the story of Jesus? Maybe the felt need folks. Yeah, you better say something about Jesus then. So do we lead first and foremost with preaching or pretzels? Here's my answer anyway for what it's worth to you this morning. It depends. Can we all say it depends like loud? It depends on things like the particular circumstances of any given situation. 
It depends on things like your own giftedness and call. It depends on who you're talking to. It depends on how you... And ultimately, it depends on God's direction and prompting on how to reach these people that He knows better than you ever will. Amen? There will be times when meeting a felt needs is the best first approach with people. And there will be times when what people need to hear most is repent or something straight from the text. Listen for God's guidance. Don't pick one because one has to be right. For me personally, in my walk, if forced to pick one model over the other, if I'm not thinking about it, I'll always lean felt needs. Almost always. But, and, in helping people meet felt needs, it seems we always need to try to to hang on to that urgency to talk about real needs with them too, don't we? Always look for and find that very first opportunity to speak to real needs as well. It's like even the felt need folks, there's got to be that, boy, I just can't wait to talk about real needs. What if it'll be tonight? Oh, Lord, may it be tonight over something. The tendency sometimes with we felt needs folks, at least who lean that way, is you get in the rhythm of felt needs and an odd thing happens. The devil almost makes it harder sometimes to talk to them about Jesus because that's not part of the relationship. I think we've got to be on our guard as felt needs folks to always look for that. In my opinion, then, the best biblical model is both felt and real needs evangelism. Help people who are hurting by helping them with the hurt. For God's sake, literally for God's sake, whatever form that felt need takes, Jesus does that all the time. But as you help with their felt needs, be ready, eager, intentional, urgent about speaking to real needs, about inviting people to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, too. Jesus does that all the time, too. I've got one P.S. this morning. That's my way of telling you I'm almost done. Although people who have been with me to Israel, at least, will tell you, I think my record for a number of PSs in a single lesson is nine. I only have one this morning. The one PS to the message this morning comes from the book of Jonah. Many of you, most of you, I think, know that story. They made a Veggie Tales out of it. That way everybody knows. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Arch enemies of Israel, those hated Assyrians. And he tells them, go and preach about real needs. Jonah is not at all interested in going, you remember. He'd rather see Nineveh destroyed. And through the fine ancient art of fish persuasion, God finally convinces Jonah to go. And he preaches. And if you ever pause to consider Jonah's sermon to Nineveh, it's astounding. Let's read it. Jonah 3, verse 3, beginning there. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was an important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, he didn't even get all the way in or through the city. Sticks his toe in the gate. Peeks over the wall. He does not want to be there. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. And here comes his sermon. Okay? Here's what he's proclaiming. He proclaimed, here's the sermon, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. What a seeker-sensitive message. 
That's all this, this guy could bite out. He doesn't want to be there, obviously. Oh, I better go now because that fish is still swimming in the bay. So he manages to get out only one day into the city. Let me paraphrase his sermon in a word. Toast! You're all toast! Yeah, maybe he chuckled. And people of God, look at the next four English words in the text. To a felt needs type person, this does not compute. Look at what God does even with that sermon. The Ninevites believed God. You've got to be kidding me. Jonah doesn't even invite repentance. Jonah doesn't even say what God he's speaking on behalf. He just shows up in this city. You're toast. <laughs> Look what God does with even that. The Ninevites believed God. Let me read the rest of it. They declared a fast. And all of them, 200,000 people, estimate of Nineveh in that day. All of them, ah, lost my place. From the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, the king, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Because someone, some stranger he never heard of in the, in the gate of his city says he's going to die. Then he issued a proclamation. He gets, his, he gets his legal team around him. By the decree of the king and his nobles, don't let any man or beast, herd, or flock taste anything. The guy commands all of the animals to fast. Jesus said, look at the response. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. The sackcloth business people were really happy with this decree. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that, so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways... He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. That's from the sermon, you will be destroyed. Holy mackerel. A mackerel's a fish. It's this kind of junk. I'm just awful today, I know. Jonah's seeker-sensitive felt-needs message that day was, you're all toast, you're all going to die. Goodbye. And off he goes to sit outside the city to watch God destroy these people. And even with that sermon, Nineveh repents. What's my point? The point is this. It's all up to God. We can't possibly mess it up, almost. Regardless of the method we use. Just so we get it out there somehow. You can give a taco, you can give a Tic Tac, you can even give a Charlie Brown rock instead of candy at the Harvest Festival. Or you could be the most gifted, eloquent preacher in the world, give a jaw-dropping three-point work of art sermon on the problem of original sin and the real need for a Savior. You can even tell someone they're doomed without God. And if and only if it's God's time for that person to respond and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ... They will. And if it's not time, they won't. God takes the pressure off. 
of the method choice people of God. That part of the Bible is crystal, crystal clear. That part's all up to God. Use whatever model approach God places on your heart, and God will use that model for good. Man, if He can use Jonah's message, then He can certainly use your felt or real needs message too. Amen? Second P.S. Oh, no, part of the first P.S. And of course, don't miss this related message from Jonah. If you run away from evangelism altogether and don't say or do anything, you will be swallowed by a fish. I'm just kidding, of course. But, but, all the same, love on people every chance you get. And tell people the story of Jesus, His death and resurrection, and what that means to you every chance you get, too. Amen? Let's pray. As your heads are about to pray, I'd like to close in a way that's a little bit different for us here. I'd like to this morning briefly use this opportunity to invite anyone here today who has not yet accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life to accept Him today. Maybe God has been working on your salvation for years and you haven't quite gotten to that step of where you're going to choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been looking for someone that loves you because you don't feel very loved. Let me tell you something. God loves you deeply. Loves you so much He sent His Son to die on a cross for the sole reason that you and Him can be together forever. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you like, you certainly don't have to. There's no formula. But I ask you to do me a favor, if you like. If you're feeling that movement of the Holy Spirit, if you're feeling like, you know what? I am tired of doing this life thing on my own. Life's hard on my own. And I'd like to have Jesus with me, carrying that load for me and with me. If you'd like to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life this morning, would you just slip up your hand at least long enough for me to see it? I will not ask you to stand up. I will not ask you to say anything. I might ask you to sing a solo. No, I won't ask you to sing a solo. Is there anyone here this morning that doesn't yet know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life? Would you slip up your hand? I saw one gentleman over here. Praise God. Is there anyone else? You don't know him yet, and this morning you'd like to. Hold it up high so I can see it. The lights are a little tough on me. Yes, thank you, sir. Is there anyone else? See, sometimes, sometimes, God put it on my heart this morning, sometimes, Church of God, we just need to ask. Anyone else that would like to choose Jesus as their Lord and Savior this morning? Thank you. I'm glad I waited. Praise God. Anyone else that doesn't yet know Him? Anyone else wants to make that commitment? To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love others as yourself. Anyone else? Thank you. Praise God. One last time. I don't want to miss anyone. Sometimes I know it's hard to raise your hand. You certainly don't have to. Anyone else? I want to make sure you're invited at least to do that this morning. Anyone else this morning? Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven. We praise you and we thank you, first of all, this morning for the 12 folks in the 815 service and the three folks in today's service, 15 new people-ish, 
that have now taken that next step at least in the process of God's salvation through their lives and, and saying, you know what, I'm going to decide to follow Jesus. Don't know all about what it means, but I accept that free gift of salvation. I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior too. Father, I know Scripture tells us that the angels in heaven are singing over them now and we join in celebrating with them too. New brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, even if someone didn't raise their hand this morning, maybe they're not quite there yet. That's okay too. We still love them because they're made in God's image. And we still eagerly, eagerly can't wait to get to know them and to help them in any way we can. Why? Because we love them. Why? Because you do. Ask, Lord, that they would um, come and say hi to someone here and that they would find a place and they would see and know and taste your love of community and what kingdom of God means here at West Bowles Community Church. Thank you, Father, that virtually we cannot mess it up when it comes to our method of evangelism. Help us, Father, to meet, give us what we need to see (laughs) and then meet the real or the felt needs of people around us. And, Father, even as we're helping with felt needs, would you please, Father, give us that courage sometimes that it takes especially in this culture, to speak the words of life, to speak the name of Jesus, and to just ask sometimes, what about Jesus for the Lord and Savior of your life too? Would you give us what we need to do that, please? Father, we love you. And we pray all of this in the matchless, awesome name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you join me in giving a round of applause for the 15 people this morning that are taking the step, the next step in salvation of, yeah, praise God. Praise God. If you made that decision this morning, that next step, whether you raise your hand or not, you want to talk to someone about it, I'd love to say hi, as would any of the folks in our church that will come down to pray with you if you like. Don't be shy. Come and tell us or tell someone about what happened this morning. Love you guys. Have a great week. Praise God.